Well, good morning. Good to be with you here today at New City Church as we continue our series, Things Jesus Never Said. Before we get into that, think with me, if I gave you enough time, you can probably relate to a time in your life where somebody or something didn't happen the way that you wanted to happen and you got upset. But part of the reason you got upset is because you had false expectations on what that person or thing was supposed to do for you. So then you even get more mad, even though it's not that person or that thing's fault, because they didn't do something that they never even promised to do to begin with. So let me give you a personal example that I'm apparently still working through. When I was younger, uh, you know, when you lose a tooth, the tooth fairy comes and visits you. And if you're good and the economy's going well in tooth fairy land, you get 50 cents or a dollar or whatever it is. Well, one day I lost a tooth. Me and my older brother had a great idea. What if, because the tooth fairy gives you good things, uh, we asked for a Game Boy? Now, I'm talking about the OG Game Boy here, like the type of Game Boy where you, when you played it at night in the car, you were praying to drive under street lights so you could actually see the screen, right? And I was like, I want a Game Boy. The tooth fairy gives you things. And so I wrote a letter and put it under my pillow saying, I don't know what I said, but please give me a Game Boy. <laughs> Go to sleep, super excited, wake up in the morning, you know, yank my pillow off. And what do I find? a dollar or something, I don't really know what it was, and a letter in response basically saying, if you want a Game Boy, you need to save your money. And so I was not very happy about this, and so I have a couple of things to say. Number one, if you know who the Tooth Fairy is, please find that person and let me talk to them. Uh, Number two, I was upset because the Tooth Fairy didn't give me what I wanted, but the thing about it was that if you know, if you ever read the Tooth Fairy manual or just know how they operate... There's no promise of a Game Boy or an expensive item under your pillow. And so not only was I upset that I didn't get what I wanted, I was upset with the Tooth Fairy, even it wasn't the Tooth Fairy's fault, because the Tooth Fairy never promised to give me that thing to begin with. Now, why do I share that story? Because today we're looking at the saying, that the common saying, that God wants you to be happy. Now, spoiler, spoiler alert, there, we don't find that anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, or Jesus himself. Nowhere do we find the phrase that God wants you to be happy. And it's really important for us to understand that because as we're going to find out, it is my personal belief and experience that un- misunderstanding this statement is what leads many people to leave the church or to follow away from Christ is not because God did not do what he promised to do, but because we get upset with God for not doing things that he never promised to do. And because we don't actually know who he is, it leads us to fall away when that's not what God would want for us. And so we'll get to more of that in a second. But today we're looking at this idea that God never said he wants you to be happy, which brings us to the question, does God then want you to be happy? Like, what do we do with this then? If God never says that I want you to pursue and to be happy above all things, the question is, does he actually want us to be happy at all? And what do we do with that? And so that's what we're going to see this morning as we get into it. I think it's helpful for us to really, again, like I said, understand why it's so important for us to know that God never says, I want you to be happy or I want you to pursue your own happiness above everything else. Here's a few reasons why. The first one, because if God wants me to be happy, here's what this means, that whatever makes me happy must be right and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Right? If we do truly believe that God wants our happiness over everything else, and this is kind of our, our cultural mandate in the, in today is to pursue your individual happiness and freedom, no matter who it may cost you, no matter what may get in your way. Why? Because we've bought into this untrue idea that our happiness is the ultimate pursuit, which means whatever makes me happy must therefore be right, if God, that's not what, that is what God wants for me. And whatever does not uh, make me happy must therefore be wrong, because if God wants me to be happy, surely nothing will, happy, will happen in my life, or at least from him, that, pro- that prohibits my happiness. That's the first thing. Here's the next issue that we run into. 
That's this, that if God wants me to be happy, then what that must mean is that suffering, hardship, delay, and obstacles can't be God's will. Right? If we believe the lie that God wants you and I to be happy above anything else, that is the, bo- the biggest pursuit in our life, then what does that mean? That sufferings, hardships, delays certainly cannot be God's will. After all, doesn't God want me to be happy? Right? And if we falsely believe that, then here's the next issue we run into. That if God wants me to be happy, here's what happens. I unintentionally believe, or I unintentionally, I begin to worship the false gods of money, comfort, pleasure, and things. Right? We begin to take the things that God has given us to enjoy, uh, to bring us pleasure, to be uh, gifts for us to enjoy in this life, and we make them the ultimate thing. That we think that we whatever 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 makes us happy, whatever gives us pleasure, money, those are become the false gods in our life. After all, God wants me to be happy. These things make me happy, so I must need to pursue them above all else. And so ultimately, here's what happens, ultimately. That if, we, if God wants to make me happy, here's what, here's what we believe. That God exists to serve me. Now here's the thing. We wouldn't actually come out and say this, and if we spend, even if you're not quite sure about this whole Jesus, the whole God thing, like if we were to grant for the sake of argument that God exists, that he's all-powerful, and that he owns everything, like everything is his, then yeah, that would make sense that God doesn't exist to serve me. However, in our personal lives, we often live like that, right? We often live that God is supposed to do what I want you to do, that you exist to serve me. And what we need to know is that it's quite opposite is, is the truth, that we do not exist to, God does not exist to serve us. We instead exist to serve him. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this morning why that's actually a good thing for us, but we need to know that God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And when we get this backwards, when we think that our happiness is the biggest, most ultimate thing in our life, what happens is we begin to view God kind of like a cosmic Coke machine, if you will, right? If you go to a Coke machine, you have some change, maybe a dollar bill. A lot of them have, you know, credit card readers now, and you, you put your money in and you want a Coke, right? You want a, let's say you want a Sprite. And so you press the button for a Sprite, you did what you were supposed to do, you pay your dues, and out comes a Coke, you would be upset. Why? Because you did what you're supposed to do. You wanted a Sprite, and you didn't get a Sprite. You got a Coke. You'd be upset. And here's what we often do with God, right? We often view God as kind of like our cosmic Coke machine, that I do this, and you must do this, and if you don't, I'm going to be upset. In other words, here's the problem, that if I am not happy, then God has failed me. Right? If happiness is what we are ultimately supposed to go after and pursue, what this means is the problem that we have, that when we are not happy, we falsely believe that God has failed us, which is not true. In fact, and this is just my anecdotal personal experience, there are lots of reasons why people may reject Christianity, fall away, you know, stop being involved in a church community, all these sort of things. But in my experience, the biggest reason that people reject God is not an intellectual problem. It's not even necessarily that something bad happened to them, but that is part of it. But the biggest reason that my experience that people reject God is because they believe that God did not do something, that God did not uphold a promise to them that God never made to begin with. In other words, yesterday I was on Twitter and I saw this guy tweet, uh, someone I guess who used to be a follower of Christ, no longer is, and he said, he asked this question, two questions. One, he said, if you're no longer a Christian, 
Why are you no longer Christian? Why do you never go to church anymore? Whatever. And secondly, why do people believe you never go to church anymore? So what's the real reason? And why do people think that you no longer uh, follow Christ or or whatever? And so I read about 15 to 20 of these uh, statements. And of course, they're heartbreaking. And to be honest, if I had been through some of the things that these people had been through, I don't know how I would respond, if I'm just being honest. But what I found is that every single one, except for possibly one of them, had nothing to do with their intellectual doubts about the scripture, about God, had nothing to do with whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. But what happened was difficult things happened to them or things happened to them that they felt were unfair. And some, let me be honest, some of them rightly may have been unfair. Some of them had been through some difficult things, but their problem was not so much just they had gone through something difficult because God was clearly not supposed to allow that to happen. Because God allowed that to happen, therefore God cannot exist or at least does not love them or care for them. What happened, right? They, we believe the lie that if anything happens in our life that isn't good for us, then God has failed us. However, God never promised us happiness. He never promised that everything would go our way. And so the question is, what does Jesus actually want us to do, right? If he never says, I want you to be happy above all things, what is it that he actually wants from us? And so I'm going to read a few verses this morning. You can try to follow along in your Bibles, but it may be easier for today's purposes just to read along with the screens as we'll be going to a few places. Uh, First is in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to give you, uh, there's many examples I could have used. I'm just going to give you a couple of what Jesus actually asks us to do. says this, as he, talking about Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. So this is when Jesus was first calling his 12 disciples to come and follow him. He says, they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. In other words, and I'm sure there was probably more than just like, hey, some crazy guy on the beach is saying, come and follow us. I'm sure there was more that was said, but they saw something in this man that they said, you want me to follow you? There's something intriguing, so interesting that they actually went and did that. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talking again, says this, whoever doesn't take up his cross, in other words, whoever does not give their life to, to me and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, he's saying nothing about happiness. What is he saying? Come and follow me. Give you another example. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is teaching and then then says this. Uh, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, what does he say? He's not talking about anything about their happiness. What is he saying? I want you to follow me. I'll give you one more example. Example Matthew chapter 19. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we looked at the rich young ruler, the, uh, Mark's account of the version. This is the same story. Last week, we talked about uh, the, 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 un, the untrue saying that good people go to heaven. And so he, referring to this passage again, Jesus is talking to a rich young Jewish man, and he says this, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell all your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, of course, what does he say? Come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. What's likely to happen in this encounter with Jesus? And if I'm being honest, and this was my first encounter with Jesus, I'm not sure that I would react any differently. He's probably thinking what? That does not sound fun. That does not sound like it's going to bring me much happiness. Surely God does not want me to not be happy. Surely that's not what it actually takes to inherit eternal life. And so he rejected Jesus' command to follow him because it didn't seem like it was going to make 
him happy. You see, we have, a, we have a problem here because Jesus never says that I want you to be happy. Instead, here's what happens. John chapter 6, the last one I'll read. Jesus is teaching a large group of people. Some of these people have seen miracles. They've seen Jesus do all these amazing things, and Jesus is basically talking about following him and how that might be, bring difficulty and hardship in their life if they do it. And then this is what happens, uh, verse 66. Uh, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So a lot of the people that were following Jesus around were saying, nope, we're not doing this anymore. And so Jesus said to the 12, so he looks to his 12 closest disciples, and he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, who was one of the disciples, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, they have come to believe that Jesus is actually who he said that he is, that Jesus is actually going to do what he promised to do, that eternal life and grace and forgiveness and mercy are only found in him. And so here's what we need to know, especially with this idea that God wants me to be happy above all things. And that's this, that happiness is not the goal. Jesus is. To be very clear this morning, happiness is not the goal. Your pursuit of happiness above all things is not the goal of the Christian life. Jesus is. That is the point. That is the goal, that Jesus is calling us to come and follow him. And here is why it's important for us to know that happiness is not the goal, but Jesus is. And that's because when happiness is our goal, as we were talking about when we began this morning, we will justify doing things that are wrong, believing that they are right. right? If happiness is our goal, then you and I will justify doing things that are wrong, believing that they are right, because after all, God surely wants me to be happy. And if we're being honest, We've all done this, right? We've all been in times and situations, maybe you've had a long week, maybe you've had a blowout fight with someone, maybe you're in a stressful situation and you're just upset, and so you go and do something maybe that you shouldn't do under the justification, well, surely God doesn't care, God knows I'm going through a lot of things, so it must be the right thing to do. And happiness is our goal above all else. We will justify doing wrong things, believing that they are right. Let me give you not a moral example, but an example that I struggle with to this day. Um, I love milkshakes. Now, you may not be able to tell from my frame, but I love me a good milkshake. Like, give good milkshake, they're on point. Uh, the problem is, when I drink an entire milkshake, most often my stomach does not like that. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but just a little side note for you, Chick fil A lovers. Um, at Chick fil A, you can get a chocolate cookies and cream milkshake. Like, they'll mix them together for you if you ask. Special request, do it. It's awesome, right? And so, when I get one of those milkshakes, what do you think I do? I drink the whole stinking thing. Now, Christina, my wife Christina is like, you probably shouldn't do that. But what do I say? I'm, this is going to make me happy in this moment. I'm going to do it, right? Almost every time. Now, what's funny is this literally happened to me on Friday, even though I knew I was going to share this story because I can't help it. So on Friday, I took my four-year-old daughter, Finley. We went on a date. We went to Wendy's. We got ourselves a Frosty. It was great. A few hours later, my mom comes by our house because Roman, our one-year-old, was sick, and she all brings us Chick-fil-A Frosties. Or, or, yeah, Chick-fil-A, or, not Frosties, milkshakes. Um, and of course, I had a chocolate cookies and cream milkshake. And what did I do? I drank the stinking thing right after I just had a Frosty. After I was done for about three hours after that, I was laying on the bed. Christine had to put the kids to bed and all these sort of things. I was miserable about an hour after I drank the thing. Why? Because I wanted happiness in the moment, even though it was going to cost me something. In the long run, right, I justified what I knew I shouldn't do because I wanted the stinking milkshake, and I do it all the time. 
but I do it all the time. And that's what, that's what we need to understand here, is that whenever in our lives, what do we do? If you're a follower of Christ, we need to understand that there is never a justification for doing things that are wrong, just because they might make us happy. So for example, and I'm not going to give a specific example here, but if you're a follower of Christ, that means the things that we involve ourselves in, the content that we consume, the shows that we might watch, all these things matter. And what happens oftentimes is we say, well, I'm watching this show, for example, and every other scene is full of filth and it's terrible and I shouldn't have nothing to do with it, but I know it's not right and I know I'm not going to do it and I've had a stressful week and it's funny and so I'm going to do this thing. And what we understand is that funny and entertaining never makes a wrong right. There is, no, there is never a situation where a wrong thing becomes right. Uh, it says this in Proverbs chapter 14. Uh, that's not Proverbs. Let me get to Proverbs. Here we go. Chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. What is he saying there? That oftentimes things that seem right to us in the moment because we're not thinking clearly or we want to justify it or we're all about pursuing our own happiness, it seems right, but ultimately it will lead to our destruction. Ultimately, it can lead to our death, whether that's physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever that may be. And so we just need to know that God never wants, he never wants us to pursue happiness when it leads us to do something sinful or unwise, ever. He never wants us to pursue happiness when it leads to something sinful or unwise. In other words, Jesus does not want you to pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue him. In other words, that's what he's telling us to do, that you and I need to pursue Jesus. He is the goal, not happiness for happiness sake, but him. Now, to be completely honest with you this morning, nothing I have said up until this point is probably surprising to you. Like maybe the happiness stuff, all that makes sense. Like if happiness is my own goal, I can see why that can lead me down a wrong path. But you're the pastor, so you're supposed to say pursue Jesus, right? So I get that. And also, if we're being honest, and let's just be honest, I think sometimes part of the reason that we hold back from either giving Jesus our life or if you are a follower of Christ, but really taking him seriously and letting him be Lord over every area of your life is that we are afraid that that might mean that we're going to be miserable. Right, that he's not going to want us to be happy at all, that he's going to hold us back. I think of a story that I read uh, just this week, and I'm going to be clear before I say this. I'm not, this is, I'm not passing judgment on this person. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong. In fact, the heart behind it is noble, but it's a story about a Catholic nun. Obviously, we're not Catholic, so we would have some disagreements here. Uh, but I think if we're being honest, the story that I'm about to tell you is what we think is going to happen to us if we actually pursue Jesus above all things. So it's the story of a basketball player, a female basketball player by the name of Shelly Pennefeather. Uh, she played at Villanova in the 1980s as one of the best college basketball players in the country. Um, after she graduated, she moved to Japan, the WNBA, so the women's professional basketball did not exist in the United States at that time. Uh, she goes to Japan. Uh, she plays for a few years, becomes one of the best players there. And then, as a true story, is offered a $200,000 contract, which for that time, especially for a women's player, was just probably what have made her the richest, richest player in the world. Translated to today, it's about $400,000. Long story short, she ends up uh, uh, rejecting the contract, moving back to the States, and becomes a cloistered nun, which basically means there's different levels of it, but she joined a monastery, a convent here in the United States, uh, one of the most strictest uh, convents uh, in the world, uh, where basically what, happened, what happens now, and the reason I had this, this story was the 25th anniversary of it was this year, which I'll explain 
significant in a second. But she joins this cloistered nun, this convent, which basically meant a couple of things for her. Uh, one, uh, she was to be, she never, she's never going to leave the monastery again for the rest of her life. Um, for 23 hours a day, she and the rest of the nuns walk around barefoot, except for the one hour a day that they're allowed to walk into the, rock around in the courtyard, which she can wear sandals. Um, she never sleeps for more than four hours at a time because they have prayers that they have to wake up for. Um, they only eat one meal a day, and they're completely secluded from society. No phones, no televisions, no internet access. In fact, part of the story was talking about how, like, when the Twin Towers fell, right, they, had no, they didn't know what happened, they didn't see it, whatever. They prayed for it because they prayed for the country, but they had no idea what was going on because they have no access to the outside world. Probably the most difficult thing about all of this, however, is that she is only allowed to physically embrace her family once every 25 years. So no, no access to people on the outside world. Uh, you're allowed to write them these nuns letters, and they can only write you a letter back if you write them one first. And so they're totally secluded and all that sort of thing. They're allowed to see people and family just twice a year. However, it's, they're, they're uh, separated by a six-inch glass barrier. So they can't touch them, and they're separated, but they can see people twice a year. That's it. And so the story was being run because this summer was her 25-year anniversary where she's going to renew her vows, and she got to see her family, give them a hug. It was like 10 seconds each for the first time in 25 years before she goes back in and never sees them again, especially her parents. would have been the last time that they were actually able to physically embrace. Now, I'm not judging the heart behind that, but what happens? I do think that's missing the heart of Jesus, that Jesus is not calling us to seek prosperity for prosperity's sake, nor is he calling us to seek poverty for poverty's sake. And what happens is sometimes we think if I actually pursue Jesus, he's going to want me, he's going to call me to be miserable, and that is not the case. That Jesus is not asking us to be miserable. He's not asking us to be miserable. He's asking us to pursue him. Instead, here's what, it, here's what happens actually. If we actually pursue the Lord with our life, here's what actually happens for us. I'm going to read a passage in Isaiah chapter 35. Now, this is written by the prophet Isaiah. In context, he was writing it to the Israelites who uh, had been uh, in captivity. They were not in Jerusalem and the promised land anymore, but he was saying because of God's faithfulness, one day God will restore for you, not because you deserved it, but in his goodness, he will bring you back uh, and to fellowship with him. And here's the words that he says, verse 8. He says, A road will be there, and a way, and it will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the path, uh, for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. So he's being clear here that those who desire the Lord are going to obtain the thing that he is promising here. Verse 9, There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. The redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Let me just ask you, does that sound miserable to you? In Isaiah 51, Isaiah quotes this, uh, Revelation 21, which is basically talking about when Jesus comes back to judge the heavens and earth and recreates his new kingdom. He says there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sadness, no more death, no more cheating, no more lying, all of these things. And he says that we will be crowned in unending joy. Does that sound miserable to you? 
I don't think it does. And the gospel is this, that Jesus calls us to follow him, not when we have it all figured out, not when we have our lives together, but right where we are today, in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of you falling short, in the midst of your screw-ups. He says, come and follow me as I do for you what you could never do for yourself, that he gladly gives his life for us so that we can experience the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of the Father, and that one day the reward for those who choose to follow Christ, not because they were great people, because they gave their life to Christ, is unending happiness and joy. And what's interesting, sometimes you'll probably you'll hear people try to differentiate between happiness and joy. In the original Hebrew and in the original Greek, those, those words were exactly synonymous. There was no differentiation there. In other words, what he's saying here is that those who are redeemed by the Lord will experience everlasting happiness, that you will actually get what you're desiring. So let me just say this, that you and I need to let Christ do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Ultimately, what he's saying is, come and pursue me. You should come and pursue me because I'm going to do what you cannot do for yourself, what you cannot get on your own pursuit. Come and follow me. And here's what happens when we do this. Here's what ultimately happens when we let Christ do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Psalm 37 says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Now, this may sound completely contrary to what you think about God, but what does it say? And I could give you a plethora of examples that we do not have time to go over, that God will give you your heart's desires. Now, hear me, not what you think you desire, but what you actually do desire. And we all know that those things are not always the same, right? Think about in your life some of the bad decisions that you made, because in the moment, you thought that you wanted this thing, and then you realize later that was a terrible decision, right? God will actually give you your heart's desire through Christ. And so here's what this means. Here's the good news about all of this, about us accepting their sacrifice that Christ has given to us, about us pursuing him even when we fall short. Here's what this means. Here's ultimately why. If we're just trying to think, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this. If we're just trying to think about this from a purely selfish, what's in it for me perspective, here's the good news. That happiness is not the goal of the Christian life, but it is a byproduct. Happiness for happiness sake is not the goal of a Christian life, but it is the byproduct. How can you read these verses and feel like God wants you to be miserable? He doesn't. He wants you to pursue him. And this is not just when you die and go to heaven and go to his kingdom. This is here and now as well, that in the midst of pain and suffering and hardships, you can know that your life still matters, that you are not alone, and you can confront the storms in your life with a peace and contentment that you cannot do by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. Happiness is not the goal, but you better believe it is a byproduct of following Christ. Let me give you uh, an example uh, of one in my life personally of how this has played out. Uh, Finley, our daughter, turned four a few months ago, and so when she turned four, she got her very first chore. And so she has to like clean her room and clean up when she makes a mess, but she has her very first chore. And her chore now is that every night after dinner, she has to clean our plates, you know, clean them off and whatever in the, in the throw whatever way is on the, on the plate in the, in the trash, and then put it in the dishwasher. That's the point. Now, after like the second time she did this, I had this revelation. Now, why do we let, why, first of all, why do we have Christina, or Christina, yeah, uh, not Christina. Why do we have Finley have chores? Because we want to teach her responsibility, right? We want her to grow up to be a high-functioning adult in society, and so she needs to know that you have stuff to do. And so that is the reason why we implemented her first chore. The second night after dinner, she, she cleans up plates, and I had this revelation. 
this is really nice. Like, I know she, she's four and she can't do that much, and this is not, like, that big of a deal, but this is one less thing I have to do, right? The goal of giving friendly chores is not to make my life easier, but you're darn sure it's a byproduct, right? And I'm thinking, she's four. Like, when does she mow the grass? Like, when she's six? Like, how can I like, get more out of this? And I know Roman's just one, but he seems pretty smart. Maybe we can give him stuff to do. Why? Again, the point was not to make my life easier, but it was a byproduct. And not that it's a perfect analogy, but this is what Christ has for us. Following Jesus is not meant to make you miserable. That is why he came. Following Jesus is to pursue him above all things. And as a byproduct of that is that he will radically transform your life. Let me read these verses real quick. They won't be on the screen. I could give you many of these, but I'm just going to say a few of these real quick. Psalm 37 says this, that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord. Philippians 3, rejoice in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Romans 12, do your acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. The last one, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He is not asking you to be miserable. He's asking you to come and follow him and see how he might radically transform your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I love myself a good meme. Okay, I don't know if you're a meme. I love myself a good meme. I found a meme yesterday, last night on Twitter. So Twitter is normally like a big waste of time, but apparently this week it came in handy for this message. I found this meme on Twitter and I was like, this is awesome. And uh, so I want to share with you in a second. I'm going to give you the context of it first. If you've seen Parks and Recreation, the TV show, it's Tom Hagelford. Think of it in his voice. If you haven't seen it, it's still a funny meme. Here's what it is. It says, friend, I didn't know Christians could have fun. Me, it's thou shalt not kill, not thou shalt not thrill. Okay, now can I get an amen from there? Right, thank you. You guys are like, I don't know, is that funny? First service is like, I don't know if that's funny. Guys, we have a group me here for our church staff, and I post memes all the time, and no one ever responds to them. So it's funny to me, even if it's not funny to you, the point is that God is not asking you to be miserable. All right, that is the point. He's not asking you to be miserable. Happiness is not the goal, but it is I byproduct. Maybe think of it. Think of it this way, uh, just to sh- to prove to you that this is actually true. Think of it this way. Uh, think of the most godly person that you know. Maybe there's a couple of people, probably someone older in your life. The most godly person that you know. Let me ask you this: Would you describe that person as miserable? Probably not. And here's what's interesting about some of the most godly people we know. Typically, they bon- they they probably have gone through some pretty difficult stuff. They might have gone through some tragedies, some hardships, and yet. They don't seem to have a bitterness about them. They don't seem to have an anger about them. They don't seem to have, you know, a negativity about them. There seems to be, in spite of all of the things that they may have gone through, a contentment, a peace, a love for others and life, a happiness. Why? Because they have known and they have followed Jesus. It is not meant to make you miserable. Even if following Jesus means difficult things will happen in your life, the goal ultimately following Jesus is for what Jesus did for you, and a byproduct of that is experience the happiness and joy that he has for you. You can, you can think of it this way, and you might have heard the story. I'm going to share the, a more edgier version of it because I think it makes a better point, but think of it this way. Uh, think of a fish out of water. You take a fish and you throw it on the beach, and the fish is flopping around, and its gills are gasping for water if that's what that actually happens there, and its scales are drying out, right? What do you think the fishes want? You think in that moment the fish is happy. Probably not. And so you, you're like, well, what would make me happy? Maybe if I gave them $500,000 cash. I'll just throw a mount of cash on the beach and put the fish on top of the cash. 
Do you think that fish is now happy now that he's flopping around on some money? Probably not. So what if you say, okay, maybe he's still not happy. You know what I'm going to do? If I was on the beach, what would make me happy? I'm going to give the, the, beach, or the, the fish a, a beach chair and some sunglasses. So you, you throw the fish on the, on the beach chair, you put sunglasses on it, sun goggles maybe, if you will, and, and, and you think the fish is happy now? Probably not. So what if you decide to give the fish a copy of Play Fish magazine in a martini? Right? You see the, fish, you see the uh, fins on that fish, you know what I'm saying, right? You think the fish is happy. Probably not. You're like, and I don't even know if you're allowed to say that. What do you think the fish is happy? Probably not. What about this? What if you dress the fish up? You give it a pair of double-breasted fins and people skin shoes. Ooh. You think the fish is happy? Probably not. Why is the fish not happy? Because he's out of his element, because he was not made for the beach. And so it is with us that ultimately if Christ loves us, if God loves us and created us to be in a relationship with him, void of that, you will never experience the joy, gladness, peace, contentment, mercy in your life that your heart so desperately desires apart from him. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And so all that to say, here's really the bottom line, the main point for today, and then we'll close, and that's this that only those who follow Jesus will ever experience what it means to be happy. Only those who follow Jesus will ever experience what it means to be truly happy. Now, hear me. I'm not saying you need to follow Jesus to experience happiness or to experience joy in seasons and moments in your life. You do not. But if you actually want to experience the happiness and joy that God has awaiting for us in his kingdom, that will only happen for those who know, love, and follow Jesus, even in the midst of us falling short. That only in the kingdom of God, only with Christ himself, will your heart be actually be in the presence of that which it was created for. And on top of that, there's no more pain, suffering, hardship, death, that we will be able to live, work, and play in perfect harmony with our hearts fully satisfied and joyful and happy in him. You can be happy without Jesus, but you'll never experience what it means to be truly happy without him. And it makes me think of, and I just want to share this story real quick. I want to be careful because I understand why people say this sort of thing. Um, and if you know, if you're familiar with my story, when I was 19, my, my dad died. And so some of the things that people say, which is what they often say, try to be, to be customary, to be nice when someone passed away, is rest in peace. Right? They'll say rest in peace. There's nothing wrong with that. But I remember hearing that phrase said to me or posted to me or whatever, texted, whatever, when that happened. And my first thought being, rest in peace? My dad is more alive now than he's ever been. And it's not because he was a good person, it's because he followed Jesus and he's, with, he's in the kingdom of God. Because following Jesus is not meant to be miserable, that one day our hearts and our desires will be fully found in him. And it is going to be more amazing than we can act, ever think of or imagine here in this life. My dad wasn't resting in peace. He's more alive now than he's ever been, and so awaits any one of us that choose to follow Jesus. And so, as we began this message with this question, does God want you to be happy? Here's what I want you to know. The answer to that question is yes. The answer to that ultimate question is yes. However, the way to get there is not how you and I often think. It is not from selfishness. It is not from pride. It is not from us pursuing our own things for our own gains, thinking that they are going to give us what they cannot give us. It's about pursuing Jesus. It's about loving God, loving others, being selfless, not always doing what we think will make us the most happy because ultimately, when we love God and love others, it allows us and as many people as possible to see and experience who Christ is so that one day, we will get to enter into God's kingdom because of the sacrifice of what Christ did for us. That is what awaits those who follow 
Jesus. Not happiness for happiness' sake, but it is a byproduct of following him. Again, only those who follow Jesus will ever experience what it truly actually means to be happy. And it's not by you trying really hard. It's not by you being a good person and not sinning anymore. It's about you, you and I laying down our life, following Jesus, experiencing the grace and the mercy that he has so that no matter what may happen in this life, we have the grace, mercy, peace, and love of God. And that one day we'll get to walk into his kingdom because of the grace and mercy he gave to us so that we will actually be able to experience the grace, joy, and happiness that awaits us for all that are in Christ, but that only happens if we choose to follow him and the grace that he has given us. Only those who follow Jesus will ever experience what it means to be truly happy. Let's pray.